to the UNT BSM audio resources. If you want more information on the BSM, you can go to untbsm.com. Thanks for listening. Amen. Okay. So you guys, uh, if you were here last week, kind of looked over what uh, was happening in the book of Genesis, picking up in chapter 34. What we had seen in the verses prior, the chapters prior to chapter 34, is the development of, uh, or the, um, the birth of the sons of Jacob. Okay? And uh, these sons of Jacob would uh, eventually grow up and become tribes in and of themselves in their own rights. Uh, eventually the 12 tribes of, do you remember what Jacob's other name was? Israel. Israel. So um, as we go through the rest of the Old Testament, Israel is made up of 12 separate kind of tribes. You think of it almost in the same way you think of states in the United States. They're kind of their own, but they're all together. Okay, so these 12 separate tribes that are descended from these 12 sons of Israel. But Israel also had at least one daughter, probably more, based on the verses that we would look at later today. But um, he has this one daughter, Dinah, and there's a man named Shechem, who Shechem eventually becomes his own tribe, uh, the Shechemites. And Shechem really lusts after and desires this daughter, Dinah, and so uh, he rapes her, and then after he rapes her, asks to marry her. And at play in that is, um, one, just the view of sexuality and of women that prevails in the culture of the Canaanites, or that, the, the land that Israel is sojourning. So they don't, they've at this point bought a few fields, they own a little bit of land in this promised land that God is going to give them, but right now the land is filled with other people that aren't Israelites, and clearly they have a very low view of women and of sexuality, okay? And so um, that's... Their daughter, uh, Jacob's daughter, gets raped by this guy Shechem, and then afterwards he wants to marry her. And so then two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, are very upset about that, as they would be. But in their um, anger, they trick the Shechemites and kill them all. Okay? Shouldn't be too surprised, because we have seen up to this point, what is one of Jacob's primary characteristics? He's deceitful. Okay? And so that's one of the things that we've seen throughout the book of Genesis is that it's kind of like father like son. And so Jacob has been deceitful. He has tricked people. And, and usually um, if the father's sin was to one degree, his son's sin is a lot worse. And so Jacob just was you know, swindling people out of birthrights and goats. And Simeon and Levi are killing people, are tricking people so that they can kill them in anger. And so it's really interesting at the end of verse 34, um, I was reading one commentary, and they pointed out that in, in chapter 34, uh, there's really no judgment made. You're left at the end, and Jacob is mad at Simeon and Levi because he says, well, now you've made me a stench to all the Canaanites. And so Jacob kind of just wanted peace at any cost. Okay, he didn't, because there was a lot more Canaanites than there were Israelites. And so he was kind of like, man, I don't want to be fighting these guys. Dude, your daughter just got raped. But he's like you know, this is, this is not going to bode well for us in these relationships with these other people. But then on the other side, Simeon and Levi are like, Dad, are we going to let put up with this? And so their retaliation was unjust. His response is kind of unjust. And so you're kind of left as the reader just like, what's the right answer here? What do we, what do we really do? And all of that kind of just goes to show even now, there's, a, there's just a lot of tension. And there's a lot of sin working out. So even though this is God's chosen family, um, 
there's just not a whole lot of hope in their goodness being the means of things getting better. Do you see that? And so we really got to hope in this good God and not in these people that he's chosen to work through these purposes. Chapter 35 uh, reiterates um, Jacob's name change and more importantly the promise that God gave to uh, Abraham, Jacob's grandfather. So it reaffirms the promise that God made to Abraham that he was going to bless Abraham and Abraham's descendants we're going to possess this promised land. They were going to become a whole nation, and that nation would be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. So take a seat anywhere you want. Um, and we are in Genesis chapter 35. Somebody, thanks, Chuck. So that nation that would descend from Abraham would be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. And so we see that God is promising to Jacob, hey, that same promise is going through you. And so in the same way that God changed Abraham's name, it was Abram and he changed it to Abraham. And you remember that we saw that that was really probably by the insertion of God's own name into Abram, Abram, Abraham. That H is probably from God's name. In the same way, God changes Jacob's name, and he inserts his own name into it. The L at the end of Israel is the Hebrew word for God. Okay, So anytime you see a name in Hebrew that ends with L, Daniel, Michael, that, that's God in there. And so he, he does the same thing. He's wrapping his name up in Jacob's name and saying, We have a covenant, the same covenant that I made with Abraham. But do you remember what Israel means? Struggles with God or strives against God, or wrestles with God. So he's giving him a new identity that's wrapped up in God's name, but it also kind of defines what his whole family will, will be like, and it's a family that struggles with God. That this is a tenuous relationship, but God is faithful, not because of their goodness, but because of the promises that he already made to Abraham. And that's good news, because the promises that we have in Christ are really just the fulfillments of the promises that God made to Abraham, which is which is good. So it's even that, not based on our goodness, but on God's promises, okay? Um, also in 35, let's see, what else happens in 35? In 35, verse 16, the 12th son is born, Benjamin, and after Benjamin is born, Rachel dies. Um, and then in verse 22 of chapter 35, it says, while Israel lived in that land, Reuben, his firstborn son by his wife Leah, went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. This is a messed up family. Okay, remember, Jacob had two wives, Leah and Rachel, and then he had two concubines here. They're called concubines, but they were the servants of those wives. So Bilhah and Zilpah, and, uh, or Zilpah. And uh, so Reuben was the son of Leah and slept with this other man that his father has been having a marital relationship with. Gross. Uh, and, and it says Israel hears about it. Nothing more is said at this point. And so just like with Simeon and Levi, there's sort of this judgment looming that they were violent against the Shechemites. Also, there's this sort of judgment looming against Reuben. And so if you remember, those were the first three sons born to Israel. And so they've all already kind of disqualified themselves, seemingly disqualified themselves. And so we're, we're left to kind of focus on the fourth one. Anybody remember who the fourth one is? Judah. Okay, you know where the word Jew comes from? Judah. So if you know that the, the Old Testament ends up being the story primarily focused on the tribe of Judah, the Jews, we're already seeing um, where that might be coming from. Uh, but it's all because of these terribly sinful sons of Jacob. Also in chapter 35, Isaac dies. 
36, we get the, um, briefly the account of the descendants of Esau. Um, I was actually just arguing with my pastor about this, because if you see in chapter 36, verse 1, it says these are the generations, and in verse 9, it says these are the generations. Throughout Genesis, uh, there is that phrase, these are the generations. In Hebrew, it's toledot. And, and if you count this as two separate sections, even though it's saying the same thing, kind of, if you count that as two separate sections, and then you count the beginning of the book, the the creation of the heavens and earth as a separate section, and the book of Genesis is actually divided into 12 sections. Why would 12 be a significant number for the book of Genesis? Yes, thank you. I was hoping that wouldn't be that hard. Uh, There were 12 tribes. This is the book that's the story of where the 12 tribes came from, and it's divided into 12 sections. Pretty cool. You didn't know that, did you? Yeah. (laughs) See, see, you just got to read it. So, chapter 36, the descendants of Esau, who they get mentioned, and then that's kind of it. I'm sure you guys had some great conversation in that last week, but um, they are not the, the line that we're concerned with. Okay, so we're going to jump in and continue with this line of Jacob and pick up in chapter 37. Now, the rest of the book of Genesis is 13 more chapters, okay, or 14 if you count 37, it's 14 chapters, and it overwhelmingly just deals with one person, the son of Jacob, and not even the, the you know, we talked through those four, okay, Judah, not even Judah. It's the, the last son, it's really the second to the last son, but it's the, la- the last one, Joseph, okay? And so it's focused on, not on the first guys, but really one of the last ones, Joseph. Um, and the rest of the story deals with this, this son. And this, you know, we're going to, if, if again, if you're kind of new here, um, we got some chairs around too if you guys want to find, you know, we need a bigger room. Um, the, what was I going to say? I was just saying something that was going to be really good. Joseph, um, one of the reasons that we do this, if, we're new, if you're new here, one of the reasons that we do manna is because Paul, writing to Timothy, um, tells Timothy to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture. Okay? Actually, in Greek, this is pretty interesting. When it talks about reading the Bible, um, they, would, they wouldn't read the Bible quietly to themselves. They didn't because nobody had books. They would all come together and somebody would take out a scroll and somebody would read it aloud. So they they wouldn't have a quiet time. Their quiet time would not be quiet at all. It would be a guy getting up and reading this book out loud to everybody. And so that was something that Paul said Christians should be dedicated to is coming together and just reading the book out loud. Okay? And not even preaching on it, just kind of reading it. And so that's why we do what we do is we, you know, read through big texts of scripture. Now I think it's helpful to insert little parts where, you know, there's some things that you might not understand what's going on. But I think you should, as you're a Christian, you know, even like the ESV app will just read it out loud to you. That's helpful, you know. And that might be for some of you a better discipline. It's like, man, it's just really hard for me to sit and stay focused and read the Bible. by Well, yeah, because it really wasn't meant to be read in your head. It was meant to be heard. Isn't that cool? And so you can listen to the ESV app if you have that. You know, it's the Bible app. It'll read it out loud to you. But the cool thing about Joseph is this is just really well written, you know. And it's okay to say that there are parts of the Bible that are better written than other parts of the Bible, okay. Um, The book of Mark, not very high-minded language. The book of Luke, very well written, okay. So 
this section in Genesis is very well written, and I say all that to say, I'm going to try and just read a lot of this, okay? And Because it, it doesn't need much explaining. It's pretty obvious, okay? so, I'll, But are we cool with that? Can we do that? Can we dedicate ourselves to the public reading of Scripture? Okay, so this is a story that focuses in on the 11th son of Israel, Joseph. And we're picking up in chapter 37. By the way, of the 12 sections, this is the last section. So where it says... In verse 2, these are the generations of Jacob. This is the last section of the book of Genesis, okay? Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. So he's tattling on his brothers. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of the other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. Or it could be a robe that has long sleeves. We don't really know how to translate that, but what that would signify is actually a robe that looks like the robe a king would wear. Okay, so it was highfalutin. It was the, the robe that you would give to someone in royalty, and yet this is the 11th son, okay, and he's a tattletale. But Jacob loves him more than he loves his other brothers. Have we already seen favoritism work itself out in the book of Genesis? Did that go well with uh, Jacob and Esau? No. So that should be little warning signs in our head. But when his brothers, this is verse 4, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He's not doing himself any favors. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were all binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf, you know what a sheaf is? Uh, like a bale of hay, you know? So there's kind of like a big bale. Each, each one of the brothers was binding up a bale of hay, their own bale of hay. He says, And my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? You've already got your royal robe on. We see that. So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father... And to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Okay, obviously the sun and the moon are his mom and dad, okay, or Leah and his dad. What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow, our, bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. Remember earlier, Jacob had come and given a bad report of his brothers. Jacob's sort of like his daddy's spy. So they're supposed to be out working, and he says, Jacob, go out and check on them. Okay. So uh, he said to him, here I am. Verse 14. So he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. <clears throat> So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, 
where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. And they saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore them to his father. So you see what Reuben was doing? He said, oh man, this is not going to... And he's the oldest brother, okay? Maybe finally he feels some sense of responsibility. He said, uh, hey, I tell you what, let's just throw him in the pit and figure out what we're going to do with him. And he's thinking, I'll rescue him later. Okay, so Reuben's trying to... But, but he's not opposing his brothers. He's just trying to deceive his brothers, like is the trend. So, verse 23, When Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, And they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah, okay, remember Judah, Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. Now, does that really seem like he's concerned for Judah? This is our brother, after all. No, he's saying, man, we gain nothing if we just kill this guy. But if we sell him to the Ishmaelites, then we make some money, and we don't have to worry about concealing a murder. So that works out really well. So Judah, not a good guy. And we're going to see in a minute, he's really not a good guy. Okay? And we see this tension between Judah and Joseph. And remember, we talked about this, as these tribes are going to grow up and become their own little sections in the nation of Israel. Okay, So like I said, kind of like states, there's going to be a civil war. And when you get to the book of 1 Kings, there's a civil war between the, the um, northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Well, guess who is the primary, the leading tribe of the northern kingdom? Joseph. Pretty much, okay? It's Joseph's son, Ephraim. Okay, but Ephraim, Joseph, and guess who is the uh, leader of the southern kingdom? Judah. So throughout the rest of the Old Testament, Judah and Joseph are going to be fighting each other. And remember we said Judah is the son of Leah, Joseph is the son of Rachel. And so there is that tension between the two wives. Okay, so we already, we see this tension. But Judah, not a good guy. Judah is willing to sell uh, Joseph into slavery. So... Um, He says, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh and blood, and his brothers listen to him. And then, verse 28, the Midianite traders, the Midianites and the Ishmaelites are the same people. The Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Man. So imagine, just... It's, it's, there's an economy of language in the Bible. They didn't have a whole lot of papyrus, so they're you know, um, only giving you the deep. But imagine what Joseph is feeling. Okay? And, he, and he had these dreams in his head. Okay? And he thought that they were real. 
Actually, in, in the culture, the, the fact that it happens twice, the dream happens twice, means like this is a sure thing. He's had, he feels like he's gotten these promises from God that you are going to be um, the king of your family. And they just betrayed him and sold him into slavery. Okay? Imagine what he's feeling. And then, like, how scary would that be? How, you know? I don't know, I guess Reuben wasn't there when this happens, verse 29, but he returns to the pit to rescue Joseph, and he saw that Joseph was not in the pit, and he tore his clothes, and he returned to his brothers, and he said, the boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? So they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood, and they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found, please identify whether it is your son's robe or not, and Jacob identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol or to the grave to my son mourning. He's saying, I'm going to mourn for the rest of my life. Until I die. Thus his father wept for him. <clears throat> Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Now, again, don't miss the irony. Jacob's the guy that's been deceiving everybody. He just got deceived by his own sons. But, but man, how, I mean, it's just evil stacked up on top of evil. This sin that's covered up with lies that just causes more and more damage to everybody around it, as sin always does. And it just ends kind of on this cliffhanger. It says, and Joseph is sent off to Egypt. Then chapter 38 shifts, and it focuses on Judah and not on Joseph. This is all a story about Judah. This is brilliant literature, okay? It is, this is like, you know when you're watching a TV show, and like you watch The Walking Dead, and you're wondering if this guy's dead or not, and then they spend like the next three episodes talking about everybody else's story except the person that you really care about, and you're like, please, just, this is what's happening in chapter 38. And something else, but I'll tell you that in a second. So just chapter 38. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her, and she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Er. So Judah has moved away from the rest of his brothers and to more the south part of the promised land, which would eventually become the tribal lands of Judah. And he marries a Canaanite. Is that okay? Nope. But he does it. And then they have a kid named Er. Verse 4, she conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. Yet again, she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Shazib when she bore him. And Judah took a wife for Er, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Er, Judah's firstborn, who's married to Tamar, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and so the Lord put him to death. And then Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. Well, hold on. Okay, so here's how this is what's going on. We're going to see this when we get to the book of Leviticus, that um, at this time especially, having offspring was everything. Okay, And if a woman loses her husband, okay, 
there's really no, at this time especially, no one else would want to bother with a widow, to marry a widow, okay? And so if she didn't have any children, she didn't have any means of providing for herself, okay? The children were going to be the, the ones that would grow up and, and work for her, and so she's sort of destitute. And so there was this custom and this rule that a, uh, it's called a kinsman redeemer, okay? The whole book of Ruth works on this principle, if you haven't read the book of Ruth, okay? That... If, if a husband dies, the next closest relative has the responsibility of taking his wife, his widowed wife, as kind of like his own wife and providing offspring for her. Only those offspring would be counted as the, the son of that deceased husband. Does that make sense? And so what that would also mean is that this, this kinsman redeemer, the next in line, is sort of dividing his inheritance um, amongst these other, this, his brother's kids. Okay, does that make sense? So that's what, so heir, the firstborn, dies. And so Judah says to the second in line, hey, Onan, you have to be the kinsman redeemer. You have to um, give Tamar children. Okay, so that's what happens. But then look at uh, verse 9. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground so as not to give offspring to his brother. Sorry, that's weird. It's in the Bible. Okay, but you can see what's going on in Onan's heart. He's being selfish, and so he's preventing Tamar from having children. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and so the Lord put him to death also. So remember, there was three brothers. The first two have been killed by the Lord. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, the third son, my son, grows up. For he feared that he would die, like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. So Judah's like, man, every one of my kids that's married this woman has died. So Judah or Tamar, you just wait a little bit, and I will give you uh, Shiloh when he's a little older. You think he will? Verse 12. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. And when Judah was comforted, so Judah's not, his wife's died. Uh, when Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers, he and his friend Hira, the Adulamite. And when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up, and sat at the entrance to Enayim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown up, and she had not been given to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, saw Tamar, all covered up in this veil, okay? When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. And he turned to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What will you give me that you may come into me? And he answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, If you give me a pledge until you send it. And he said, What pledge shall I give you? And she replied, your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. Basically, his driver's license at that time, okay? If you give me your driver's license to hold on to, then yes, you can sleep with me until I get my goat. <laughs> so he gave them to her, and he went into her, and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away, and taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adulamite, to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. And he asked the men of the place, Where's the cult prostitute who was at Eniam at the roadside? And they said, 
There's no cult prostitute that's been here. So he returned to Judah, probably very confused, and said, I have not found her. Also, the men of the place said, No cult prostitute has been here. And Judah replied, Let her keep the things as her own, or we shall be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat, and yet I did not find her. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, Bring her out and let her be burned. And as she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, By the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, Please identify who these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah identified them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son, Sheila, and he did not know her again. And when the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb. When she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, This one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out. And she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore his name was called Perez. And afterward his brother came out with the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zira. Why would they do the scarlet thread on his hand? So they knew who had Yep, so they knew who would come first. So um, Perez came out all the way first, but Zira was actually the one that was the firstborn. Okay? He got his hand out first. Okay? That must have been a terrible delivery. I don't even know what would be going on for that to happen. But that's what happened. Okay. So, what are things we learn about Judah from... Gosh, isn't this, like, great? I mean, it's awful, but this is, like, soap opera stuff. Right? This is, this is intense. Okay? And so what do we learn about Judah from this? Really not a good guy. Really not. Okay? And so, again, like we said, this whole time, Joseph is being taken down to Egypt, and we're getting this picture of what happens with Judah. We get these two sons born to Judah, Zerah and Perez. And all of that, in the immediate context, is meant to be a contrast to what we see in Joseph. Okay? So Judah has been the one that basically led to Joseph being sold into slavery in Egypt. And now we're going to see how Joseph responds in um, much more adversity and how different he is from Judah. You get it? Okay, so look at verse chapter 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar... An officer of the Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. If you underline your Bible, underline that, okay? This is the most important theme running through the whole story of what happens with Joseph, okay? So bad stuff is happening to Joseph. And a lot of times when bad stuff happens in our lives, that's when we feel like God has left me, okay? That's when we're really tempted to do things on our own because clearly God has forgotten about me. He has stopped taking care of me or else this bad thing would not have happened. But that's not what's going on here. And this is going to unfold itself over and over and over again. And we see it right from the very beginning that even though this bad stuff is happening, the Lord is with Joseph. And he became a successful man working for Potiphar. He was in the house of his Egyptian master, and his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hand. So Joseph found favor in Potiphar's sight and attended him. And Potiphar made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him an overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. 
And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. So this is similar. Judah is walking down the road and he sees a cult prostitute, what he thinks is a cult prostitute. And in her own way, she's beckoning, hey, lie with me. And here, Joseph is in his master's house and his master's wife says, lie with me. Verse 8, but he refused. And said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in the house. And he has put everything, or he is not greater in this house than I am. Nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against who? God. God. Oh man, that's good. Psalm 51 Against you, you only, Lord, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Okay, so even though he sees this is, um, this would be a sin against Potiphar, he knows that a sin against anyone is really a sin against God. So he says, I'm not going to sin against God like that. Verse 10, and as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. Now, you know, Jesus says if something causes you to sin to something, you know, if something in your life is a hindrance or a temptation to you, cut it off. Okay, we have a hard enough time resisting stuff that we know we should just cut off and not even be around. Well, Joseph has no choice. He's around this day after day after day, and yet he's withstanding that entire time. What a contrast to Judah. Okay, this is a good guy. Verse 11, but one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she, Potiphar's wife, caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. This guy has some trouble with garments. They always get him in trouble. As soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. Because it is to rape me. You get that, what she's saying? But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. It's the same thing. Tamar has this proof of Judah. She says, whoever these are is the man that did this to me. Well, she's lying with the same thing. She's got this identifying thing for Joseph. And she says, look, he tried to rape me. That's not true. Okay? So Joseph's a good guy, a godly guy. It says the Lord is with him. And yet he's being falsely accused. Because she's so mad that he's being righteous. Right? Do you see that? He's doing the right thing. He's not sinning. And she gets upset about that. And so she frames him. She accuses him and tells his master. And as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. Verse 21, But the Lord was with Joseph. And showed him steadfast love 
and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with him, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night, they both dreamed. That is, this chief baker and this chief cupbearer. They both dreamed. The cupbearer of the king and the baker, the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison. Each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, uh, Why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, We have had dreams, and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Now it's important to say this. um, Dreams obviously factor very prominently in the story of Joseph. And throughout the Bible, there are instances where God speaks to someone through dreams, okay? Um, Even though it happens a number of times, it's important to remember that the Bible is a very long story, and a lot happens, okay? So it's not necessarily normal for God to speak through dreams. Do you get that? But in the Egyptian culture, they placed a really high emphasis on dreams. And dream, they wrote whole like scientific books on how to interpret dreams. Okay, so the Egyptians were going to see dreams as if God, if, if a God was going to talk in any means, he would talk through dreams. That's how the Egyptians thought about dreams. So that's probably why God is doing so much with dreams in this story, is to really speak clearly to the Egyptians. So even though in Joseph's right, dream interpretation doesn't come from that weird horoscope book that you, you know, bought at the metaphysical bookstore, okay? Dream interpretation comes from God. But I don't want anybody to read this and think that you've opened up a whole new door in your Christian disciplines of dreaming and interpreting dreams, okay? Can we, if you want to talk more about that, let's talk about that. But I don't want this story to lead you way astray. Good? Okay. So, but they have these dreams. They're troubled by the dreams. And Joseph says, well, dream interpretation comes from Yahweh. And I know Yahweh, so tell me your dreams. Verse 9, so the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, and I pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. So this is appropriate symbolism for the cupbearer. He would literally be the one that brought the Pharaoh his cup cup to drink wine out of, and so he's having a dream about grapevines, okay? And then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches in your dream are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. So to lift up, for the king to lift up your head, you would come, you would come to the king and you would bow your head down, and the king would put his hand on your chin and lift up your head and that was a, shine, a sign of favor. Okay, I'm receiving you. Okay, So he's saying to the cupbearer of the Pharaoh, he's going to lift up your head and you will be restored to your position. 
Um, he says, verse 13 again, In three days Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention to me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Now when the chief baker saw that the interpretation for the cupbearer was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. Interpret mine. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. What does that mean? And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from your body, from you, and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. I love this. this is a really funny like Hebrew play on words. Okay, so, so. Your head's going to be lifted up off of your neck because Pharaoh's going to chop your head off, and he's going to hang you on a tree, and birds are going to eat you in three days. That's the interpretation of your dream. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, Pharaoh made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not mention Joseph, but forgot him. So, Joseph is... um, has rightly interpreted these dreams, okay? The one guy died, the other guy uh, was restored to his position, and yet, the, the guy didn't remember Joseph. But the Lord is with him. Verse, chapter 41. After two whole years later. This is 13 years since Joseph's brothers threw him into the pit. So this has been this downward spiral of his life for 13 years. Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep. And he dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled. And he sent and he called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams but there is none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Oh, wait, I remember. Two years later, thanks, guy. I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. And a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. 
And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there's no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, well, it's not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass, and seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. And when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were all still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was none who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. And the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. How many dreams did Pharaoh, or did uh, Joseph have? Two. Two. Were they the same dream? Yeah, and here he tells Pharaoh, he's like, hey, the fact that you're having the same dream twice with different symbols, that means it's, it's fixed. It's going to happen. It's sure to happen. God is showing you what's going to happen. And Joseph had two dreams. But here he is, uh, a prisoner. Okay, But he's interpreted these dreams. He's told Pharaoh what to do. And not only that, um, Joseph gets pretty bold and he starts telling Pharaoh what he thinks he should do in response to the dreams. Look at verse 33. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all of the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. And this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all of his servants. And so Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this? And whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring. Here's another signet ring contrasted with Judah. Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. 
And thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath-Paneah, which is Egyptian. And he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. <clears throat> Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt, and he put all the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it, and Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. In the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, what he says to you do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened up all the storehouses, and he sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. So 13 years after this low point, in Joseph's life. By God's sovereign plan through all of these things, he has finally been brought to the point where he's basically the king of Egypt. Okay? He runs everything. And, and this is an encouragement to me, man. I don't know, I don't know what you're at, where, where you're at, but we have such a short-sighted view of our lives and how things are going. And we can so get so fixated on, on just what's happened this month or this year or this time when I'm in college. And we forget that God is with us. Okay? And, and, and that's a promise only if you are with God. Do you get that? Only if there's been this, Joseph is in a relationship, a covenant relationship with God through this family of being in Abraham. And so God is with him and blessing him and keeping these promises. You can have that same kind of covenant relationship. You can be a descendant of Abraham by putting yourself by faith in Jesus. And so if you're here and you're a Christian, no matter what, high or low in your life, God is with you. And that doesn't mean that you may, you know, just hold on long enough, 13 years from now, you're going to be the king of Egypt. That's not what that means, okay? But, but God is with you. And I love Joseph's heart. He's, so, he's always so quick to focus more on God than on himself and on his circumstances. Okay, he just, he just trusts God. We're going to see that more and more. But you kind of get the idea of what's, been, what's gone on. So Joseph has been put into this place of prominence where it says, what did it say when he's riding around in the chariots? What did they sh shout before he went? Kneel. Kneel. Bow the knee. Remember Joseph's dream? Okay. But who was it in Joseph's dream that was bowing down before him? Yeah, his mother's father's brothers. Okay. Are they bowing down to him? Not yet. But there's a clue at the end of 57 says, not only was the famine severe in Egypt, it was severe in all the earth. So all the earth comes to Egypt. 
This is good stuff, right? Isn't this great storytelling? I love it. We're going to keep on going. Chapter 42. When Jacob, so cut scene back to Canaan. When Jacob, Israel, learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? <laughs> anyway. What are you doing looking at your hands? Let's make something happen, okay? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Remember, Benjamin's the youngest one. So he, doesn't, he sends the other ten, but he doesn't send Benjamin. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor of the land. He was the one who had sold to all the people of the land, and Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground, just like God's dream had said. Okay? And they had no idea. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers, and he spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. In Egypt, you would shave all of the hair on your head. You wouldn't have a beard. Um, they would actually even shave their eyebrows and draw it on with a tattoo. So he, he looked different. He's got a different name, Zaphnath Paneah. He's speaking Egyptian to them. And this has been 13 years later. He was 17. Okay, now he's 30. And so they don't recognize him. But he rec- 37? Is that? Oh, yeah, because it's been seven years. Yeah. Thank you, Craig, keeping me honest. 37. Okay? Um, and so they, they don't recognize him, but he knows them. Okay? So what's he going to do? Ooh, this is good. This is good stuff. Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, You're spies. You've come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, No, my lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. No, you're not. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you've come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. And they said to one another, In truth we are guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the distress of his soul. They're talking about Joseph. We saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. And they did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. 
And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them, and he bound them before their eyes, bound Simeon before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, and to replace every man's money in his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. As one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, My money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this their hearts failed them, and they turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? They think that Joseph's going to think that they ripped him off, you know, that they stole the money back from him. When they came to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us, and he took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, We are honest men. We have never been spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is to stay with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me, and take grain for the famine of your household, and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me, and then I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men, and I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack, and when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob their father said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and now Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons, if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. The only one descended from Rachel, is what he's saying, his favorite wife. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us. The whole time, by the way, Simeon is just sitting in a jail cell. <laughs> anyway, we kind of forget about Simeon. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Why do you think Joseph's asking those questions? It's his family. He wants to know. He wants to know what's going on. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would have now returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise and go to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your brother, your other brother, and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present, and they took double the money with them, and Benjamin, they arose and they went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. 
When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the man to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, It is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in, so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, O oh my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food, and when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks, and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So he, we brought it again with us, and we have brought other money down with us to buy more food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. He replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. And then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought them in into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they had heard that he should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. So again, they bowed down to him. And he inquired about their welfare. And he said, Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes, and he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother, of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. They served him by himself, and then by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and we're merry with him. We'll stop there. I wish we didn't have to. I know. Isn't that awesome? See, look, how many times have you been reading the Bible and you're like, wait, I don't want to stop. <laughs> this is good stuff, guys. And the more, and the more you come to um, understand it and appreciate it, the more it's just, it's, there are so many moments in the Bible that are just beautiful. And, and this is just the beginning. So leave there with that kind of sense of what's going to happen. Okay, and, and the big idea that in all of this, don't you see already God's sovereign plan being worked out? Don't you see that? So we're going to take a break next week. Uh, it's Thanksgiving, so I'm going to be in Arkansas. See you guys. Uh, and we will pick up next Friday. The goal will be to finish the book of Genesis the, the next week. And then we will uh, jump into Exodus probably next semester. And we're going to go a lot faster through the rest of the four. Okay. Um, but... Let me pray, and then we'll go. God, I pray that you, would, uh, that you would remind us that you are with us. Lord, I don't know where all of these uh, students are going to go for Thanksgiving, but it may for them feel like um, a return to a family that, that is at odds with them. Maybe somebody in this room is having a semester where it feels like they have been brought to a really low place. Maybe somebody in this room is feeling like they're being falsely accused. 
Maybe someone feels like they are imprisoned to sin or to doubt, to anxiety, whatever it is. And God, in those moments, we are so prone to to doubt you, to cry out, how could you possibly do this to us? And yet you've given us this story of Joseph where you've never, you never leave us, even in the hard times. And Lord, as we'll find out, those hard times serve a much bigger purpose. Already we can see that, that Joseph's suffering fed his whole family. And Lord, what a small foretaste of Jesus who suffered so that we could have life. And if there's ever a reason to believe that you're with us, it's the, it's the death of your son. So God, would you help us to walk in the power of that gospel, that good news? Would you help us to love your word? And to see that not only is this a great story, but the whole story of the Bible is an amazing story of redemption. And would we be excited about it? Would you stir up our affections for you as you've revealed yourself through your word? Would you be gracious to us through it? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Y'all have a great Thanksgiving. And we will see you in two weeks.